My colors ghost is always present there. <laughs> That's true. You know, I kept thinking that we were going to see your your bunny rabbit, little ghost of your house. Yeah, here somewhere. Uh, uh, yes, Clementine. Yeah, yeah. Welcome to Littoral, a podcast from the literary shores of the Hudson, part of the River River Writers Circle, a nonprofit arts organization in New York. Find us online at riverriver.org. Okay. The future of death. If a star died and we still see its light, is that light its past or its future? A past, they say, happens before death, the timing, a convention. The future also happens before death, another convention. That death has a future is like walking backward to collide with all that happened before. That poet who died young he wrote for a goodbye. Maybe death is to get stuck in the past. There's a dead star here on the porch. It's also flickering on the river. But the future of its death is rolling like it dies exponentially until it stops. It's a promising death. It happened, but still hasn't arrived yet, but arriving arriving a bit more every day. There's maybe a last moment when the end of light arrives, when death has no longer a future. And also there are those moments with dead light shining on them. They go both ways, like a boat pedaling both north and south, all at the same time. How we hold the future of stars in our palms we babysit the weather they make in our bones. Here is spring, there is snow. A leaf falls and collapses. They power all the machines that read the time for us meticulously. There is that light on the river, reflecting, refracting. Fish swim up and take it in. There, in their meaty depth, is where the future of death lurks until it completely arrives, then we can say death has only a past. My name is Anupama and I'm the director of River River, also poetry editor, and here with me today is fellow poetry editor Gada Khalil, who just read that beautiful poem. Thank you so much. Thank you, Anu. Yeah. Thank you. Gada is originally from Lebanon. Her poems have appeared or are forthcoming in Arsenic Lobster, Rise Up Review, Piff Magazine, Juked, Electric Serial, and other journals. She has an MA in Media, Culture, and Communication from New York University, and she lives here in the Hudson Valley, so, which is how I know her. <laughs> you, you joined the masthead for poetry, I want to say a year ago? Yeah, yeah, about a year ago. It's just been really lovely to get to know each other. Yeah, it's been a great experience. So, so I thought, you know, we could talk just a little bit about the experience of writing that piece. This was a piece that came out of one of our writing circles. We run these free, open to the public, anybody can drop in writing salons at this point three times a week. This was one that, well, actually, why don't you go ahead and talk about it, kind of what, um, what happened? I remember that day you came in with a prompt. It was a poem of a poet called Dean uh, Rader. 
-hmm. and the poem was still life with gratitude now thinking back i don't remember the poem like a picture but i i remember that it had the universe and then the light and a star somehow and this is what took me to the idea of the future of death because he was talking about the impermanence of light somehow what i recall so usually when you give prompts on fridays i uh, somehow i get stuck or i get inspired by a word or its energy and i and i don't know how to access it or how, what to make of it but then i i learned to to start with let my words flow without any censoring so I, I start writing as if I'm writing my own journal and I let the words come out and um, usually at some point I get I got like a sign or an invitation to go somewhere specific where I feel it's very charming or very engaging and kind of magical for me in that piece for example I started saying I don't know where to start with this prompt I like the centrality of light in the piece, death stars, like the future of death or the past of death, the future of death in light years. I also saw in his poem the word collapse, and I started thinking about stars collapsing and death of stars, and, and then the moment of death that is very, the, the moment of death for a light that is not one point of time. This is how I got inspired. I, I wrote a couple of small poems before I got to where I wanted to go. I, something that maybe doesn't make sense, like I ask you to collapse. The apples were plenty. They picked them, they picked them. And I don't know how the associations with the star came in that poem. And then I said, what collapses radiate when everything went dark? There was a morgue and the morgue daddy. And then... Yeah. Wow, that's that's really, you know, because so much of that did not go into the poem itself. Yeah, so that I was. did not read those, but mm -hmm. they were part of me getting to where I wanted to get. There's another thing that I wrote here. What collapses radiates time drift into the cosmos. Most of what we know we can't see. And then somehow I get to write the piece I read, and I do a little editing where I... I sometimes change the order quickly if I have time and sometimes uh, I don't have time so I just I trust it as is usually I read sometimes rarely I don't but mm -hmm. I remember reading that piece together yeah well you know the group itself tends to be a very sherry group you know like pretty much everybody reads every time they show up then you know it's because it's it's a very accepting group there's no critique going on. There's there's really just a celebration of the inspiration. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I but like the, yeah. that performance part of it as well, mm -hmm. uh, that we write and we read to each other in a non-judgmental kind of uh, warm environment. And I think the venue also where we meet on Friday adds to that. It makes it private and... Um, uh, it, it puts focus on what we're writing and what we're reading mm -hmm. yeah. in a powerful way, I say. Yeah, well, I agree. So you're talking about the, the Fridays take place at the Carson McCullers house mm -hmm. in Nyack, in which we sit around the table in you know, the novelist Carson McCullers' old dining room. I think we get the feeling of her 
sort of intense focus in, in her own imagination and in her own work. So I think that really comes through in just the, the mood of the group. It's kind of a special place, I think, mm -hmm. at least for me, that it inspires me. Yeah. Like sitting together on a table, her portraits are all around, her work, that space, like you said, of her imagination or what she created. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but even, you know, the, the theme of your poem about kind of reflecting on death and reflecting on the impermanence of things, you know, Carson McCullers herself, I mean, she had had a stroke. Someone told the story of um, the way that she typed one of her later pieces with one finger because wow. she was really very ill. So she ill. lost uh, her Yeah, hands. yeah. So, so I'm sure she was reflecting on death quite a bit. The other thing that I really remember about that particular session, which was back in February of, of this year, right? We read that Dean Rader poem in the round. So we were already engaged in the process of reading together with everybody in the group reading one stanza. And I think Oh yeah, that's true. That's what we did. Yeah. So so there was something already of, you know, to kind of bring the voice into it. Mm -hmm. So, you know, just kind of the I feel like the energy of the way that that poem sounds is just it's so awake. It's connected to that. Yeah, that's true. A few words in it that are so powerful and they there's a lot of silence and then there are those words that ring like a bell and kind of commend attention because mm -hmm. he brings the universe in and how quiet it seems but then when you kind of focus you you start hearing these little sounds that mm -hmm. the pulse of something and and I think his poem for me reads like that like a piece a silence that's part of little noise that make the universe of the space we look at a little more I don't know, human, or less mute. I like the way that you say that, just less mute. So I could, I could just read the poem. So this is Dean Rader's poem titled Still Life with Gratitude, and it's from his collection titled Self-Portrait as Wikipedia Entry from Copper Canyon Press 2017. And it begins with an epigraph from Dante's Purgatorio. The heavens call to you and revolve about you showing to you their eternal beauties, and your eye is still gazing upon the earth. One day, the scientists tell us, every star in the universe will burn out, the galaxies gradually blackening until the last light flares and falls, returning the all to darkness, where it will remain until the end of what we have come to think of as time. But even in the dark, time would go on, bold in its black cloak, no shade, no shadow, only the onward motion of movement, which is what time, if it exists at all, really is, the absence of reversal, the sheer impossibility of that final fire dying into itself, dragging the day deep into what it no longer is, bowing only to rise into the other, into a shining the heavens were commanded to host, the entire always poised between the gravity of upward and downward, like the energy of a star itself, constantly balanced between its weight straining to crush its core and the heat of that same core, heaving it outward, as though what destroys redeems, 
What collapses also radiates, not unlike this life, love, which we are traveling through at such an astonishing speed, entire galaxies racing past, universes. It is as if we are watching time itself drift into the cosmos, like a spinning wall of images already gone. And I realize most of what we know we can't see, like the bird song overhead, or the women in China building iPhones, or the men picking strawberries in the early dawn, or even our sleeping sons in the other room who will wake up and ask for their lightsabers. Death will come for us so fast we will never be able to outrun it, no matter how far we travel or how heavily we arm ourselves against the invisible, which is what I'm thinking, love, as I watch you sleep, knowing the iron and the blood that keeps you alive was born from a hard star death somewhere in the past that is also the future. And what I mean to say is that I am so lucky to be living with you in this brief moment of light before everything goes dark. Such a wonderful poem. It's so beautiful. I agree. And that's why I brought it to you guys, you know. I was teaching this book at Ramapo College of New Jersey to my intro to creative writing students. You know, some of them really liked it. I had one student say it reminded him of Nirvana, because, <laughs> the, the lead singer of Nirvana, because of the self-consciousness, just that, that kind of, you know, reflecting on death and the self-consciousness. And others who just, like, didn't care for it, they felt maybe the same thing, just that sort of really intense self-consciousness and it's such good exposure for people you know to kind of get that sense of some of the courage that it takes to write wow i would like to read more of his poems i'll lend you the book yeah thank you (laughs) (laughs) i would love to keep it so how about you yeah how was you read the poem together how did you go about writing and what did you write well i wrote a lot of times it's kind of like cheating because I'm the one bringing the prompt in the first place. <laughs> I think you have an advantage over us. I don't know if it's an We're advantage. A <laughs> <laughs> you know, in some ways it makes it harder because, you know, you guys have the advantage of the surprise. Uh-huh. And for me, it's kind of like I have to dig harder to kind of surprise myself with the prompt. We can work around that. <laughs> and, yeah, and for one time, we will surprise you. You will assign somebody to surprise you with the prompt. I have, we have done that actually. Okay, we okay. have done that. We've had guest prompters, and, yeah, and that's, that's always good. a delight. So, the way that I went about it this time was I just picked a little phrase from his poem, "A Hard Star Death," and I used that as kind of my my way in. So, one of the things that I often say to people when I bring Um, a poem or sometimes I'll just bring a stack of literary journals or Mm -hmm. chapbooks or something and I'll say here just take inspiration but sometimes what I say is you know grab a line grab an image and use that as your bungee cord into (laughs) your own work that tends to work for me is just just a little piece of the language or a little piece of you know metaphor or image I I can tether myself to it and then I can free fall into kind of whatever it is that I need to express that day. I like that expression of tethering yourself to it and jump. You know, I don't do things like that in real life. You know, it's really just a metaphor. (laughs) (laughs) 
I am not a That's daredevil. Probably, there's probably a good reason why you do it in <laughs> metaphors. <laughs> it's much safer. Yeah, exactly. I think. So I could read what I came up with. In yeah, let's. Prompt. That would be great. When I go about writing this way, I kind of am going through in my mind memories or things that I'm sorting through, mm -hmm. you know, and, and trying to make sense of. And, and that, that becomes the theme. So it's, it's like the theme kind of collects in, you know, like in the descent on my way down. So I don't necessarily have an idea to begin. It's really, it happens in the process. You tie yourself to something and you fall basically. Yeah. And as you're falling, you, mm -hmm. you get what you're, wh what's living in you, all the thoughts yes. and questions. feelings and questions. Mm -hmm. Wow, I, I want to fall into that metaphor. <laughs> okay, so go here ahead. we go. <laughs> a hard star death, like a cease of hostilities. Who could imagine the morning dove reminding me that an owl calls much deeper in the throat? You try it out in the dark hillside woods and wait for an answer, but don't imagine it. The bear star is much older than imagination and pines are quieter than oaks, and the wintergreen guards your feet from marauding mushroom ghosts. To listen, one needs at least enough hope to fill a teaspoon. That much would weigh more than Jupiter. We walk down to the swimming hole, where the water stills slightly, just under the rapids, but roars just the same. Earlier, we worshipped the bald eagle overhead, our faces sopping with sunlight, as though what re destroys redeems and what gives life threatens with a hot iron. But here, the iron in the water is cool and pyrite cannot fool us in the dark. Very beautiful bathe, you know, and what caught my attention uh, are all the sounds that came in as your falling into that, like uh, the deep throat of uh, an owl, and then uh, the quiet pine cone, this alternation between, again, what's mute and silent and the, the sounds around it, and then the roaring. You were not intentionally thinking of all these sounds, you just collected them as you... Yeah, yeah. And I don't know why that particular memory came up for me because, you know, the Dean Rader poem doesn't really have anything sort of concrete like that, you know, it's like a memory, like a story, but that was just kind of coming back to the sounds mm -hmm. because we had started by reading his poem aloud and I think just that, that memory might have come up just because of that, that little gurgle of, of poetic sounds that we began the session with. I can't tell. I don't know. Mm -hmm. But it's an interesting point. Do you think if we read the prompt aloud versus just read it silently would like nudge us into a direction or the other? That's a very interesting because mm -hmm. it creates a different space. Yeah. That's very interesting. I've never thought about it this way. We'll have to test that hypothesis. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how we would construct an experiment for that, but <laughs> yeah, the silent prompt and the, the poetic prompt. Mm -hmm. But is it 
usually like no matter what the prompt for you is is trusting that space where you enter and see what's there do you struggle sometimes like what if you you don't get to tether yourself to something or what what do you do when when there's no access point or did you experience that or is it where you cheat you always get a prompt where you can tether yourself to <laughs> no you know actually it's I guess the experience is a little bit different when I don't start with poetry or with creative works. Like when I bring like maybe a more conceptual prompt, one that we did recently was independence. So kind of the concept of independence, you know, that could go so many different ways. You could take that so many different ways. You could be thinking about it, the country and Independence Day, or you could be thinking of a child just gaining a little bit of independence or you could be thinking about just personal relationships that you're having. So so in those cases, it tends to be, like sometimes I have a sort of like semi-conscious idea of you know something that I've been wanting to write, that is what will come up in the prompt. Like kind of on the one, it's kind of like, like a balance or something, where on the, on the one side of the scale I have this, the prompt, like independence or another kind of strange one we had recently was post-it notes so like so there's that the kind of theme that I want to bring forward so so that's a little more intentional I think it's it's not so much the free fall but the process I, I feel is still very much the same I'm still kind of waiting for images to arrive in my mind rather than going um, kind of willfully through it through the process. So you wait. I do wait. So you stop writing. You pause and you wait for it. You wait for the image to, to get there. Yeah. So I do get stuck sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> I admit it. It's very, um, you know, it's very hard waiting for the next piece. And sometimes, like, I, I'll think that I'm hearing something, but then the word doesn't feel right. And then I just have to kind of wait and see, well, which, is there some other word? Sometimes I find I just, I just fight with it. You know, it's like, I don't want to write that. <laughs> and I just wait until it goes away. <laughs> and, it, and then yeah. something else comes, you know, eventually. And then um, I write that. It's like, no, so thank you, not now. <laughs> <laughs> and you're allowed, you know, it's okay. Can I say that you have a very beautiful way of reading that... It's it's the word like it, the words, but also there's the tone or there's something else that comes in uh, that somehow commands a gently attention. Can can you say something about how 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 do you experience uh, your own reading of your own poems? What what is it like for you? Oh boy, um, I think it's. It's like I'm experiencing something else about my experience, you know, my, my, um, how do I want to say this? Um, it's as though I'm experiencing myself talking in a way that I've never really heard before. I don't know if that makes sense. <laughs> it makes sense because you just wrote this poem and you have not heard it before except 
why writing it, right? So you're saying it for the first time. Yeah. So I've, you know, but it's it's like um, I think there's a quote from I think Louise Glick about the way that we hear poems in our minds silently. There's a there's a kind of I think she kind of describes it as like the ear of the mind or something like that. Um, so there's there's that sort of experience in writing it, and even you know in revision process when I'm kind of reading it over silently in my mind and looking at line breaks and word choice and things. There's like that ear of the mind, but then when I read it aloud, there's a different sort of physiological sort of receiving of it. So it's like I'm hearing some, you know, something that I've said, but it's, it's a completely different saying. I forget what I wrote, <laughs> and, and then it startles me. So I, I don't know if that comes through when I read things aloud, that I'm a little bit surprised that it I wrote that. It happens to me sometimes, maybe not immediately, uh, after I wrote something, but if I go back sometimes say, did I really write this? I don't remember writing it. Mm -hmm. Where did it come from? Mm -hmm. Is that what you're talking about? Yeah, but I, I think it's heightened with the reading aloud. I think, I think it's just uh -huh. because it's a different process of listening to yourself. Oh, that's, yeah. That would be interesting to find out, you know, scientifically what goes on there. But um, but I love the way that you read too. You and I we kind of associate ourselves very strongly with the river, and the name of our journal, River River. Your voice has that quality of just knowing that the current is there, and there's such a trust as a listener that you're not gonna leave us, you know, <laughs> stranded somewhere. <laughs> oh, thank, yeah. thank you. I, it's good to hear that because as not being from here, like having. Um, being born in Lebanon, there's always this layer of me that I'm trying to speak through because English is not my native language. Somehow got through to my native parts and I use it to go to places that are so native to me. But at the same time, I feel sometimes maybe an outsider to it. So it's that dilemma between using a language to be who I am and access this kind of falling experiences in metaphors, but at the same time being the outsider and bringing how I speak and my accent to it. Mm -hmm. So reading for me has a lot of dimensions that I still need to explore and gracefully, I hope. <laughs> oh, very gracefully. I love your English. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's. I think we all own our particular plot in the language. It's <laughs> ours. I love that. Yeah. So, but you know, what other languages? Like, do you ever write with like using your other languages? Do you incorporate some of those? Yeah, I actually, um, growing up in Lebanon, I, uh, I we had a mixed uh, relationship to writing in Arabic because we speak a Lebanese dialect that is not a written language. But our written language is the standard Arabic that is, tends to be very formal and official. So when they read the news on TV, it's in standard Arabic. When we read books 
is in standard Arabic, they somehow there's a disconnect between the oral, uh, the, what you hear every day and what sounds familiar and cozy and warm and that language that you used to maybe when we were growing up to breaking bad news to us about the war and who died and politics and political divides that were in Lebanon. So it was hard to find myself in, in writing, although now I have, this is a new path for me, I want to go back to it and uh, enter that space and and bring myself to it and see what it would bring to me. The standard Arabic and that contrast between what's lived language and spoken every day and what's just official. I also uh, wrote in French when I was growing up because both Arabic and French are official languages in Lebanon and it was part of me growing up and going to school. Because I've been here for many years. identify in my daily experiences with English right now, but I'm so hungry for going back and bringing Arabic to what I'm doing now. I have a couple of ideas, but I haven't had the chance yet to go deeper in, in, in them. I'm so looking forward to seeing what happens next. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, I thought maybe we could talk just for a bit about reading for the journal, you mm -hmm. know, since you and I are both involved with the curation of the poetry aspect for, um, for the issues of River River. Do you feel that kind of your, your perspective as far as, you know, image and, and the sound of language and, you know, some of that, like, what do you see when, when you're reading submissions? Like, what, what attracts you? When I read, I, I try not to read when I'm busy or when my mind is not focused or not receptive to reading. And when I read, somehow I let myself be led. I take it in a very intuitive way. I don't look for anything. Uh, I skip the cover letter and I go straight to the poems. I don't want to know who they are before I read the poem. And, uh, and I wait for a, a word that grabs me and brings bring me in the poem. So I would be reading and sometimes I feel a sudden, like as if I've been arrested, like this like this poem is calling my attention and I want to stop and read it. There's some power to it. It just takes me into it and I want to read it and I want to stop. So basically I don't think it through. I just I let myself be led by the poem itself. And if it stops me and grabs me, I vote yes for it. Okay. And if it yeah. doesn't, I usually give it another chance. I read the whole thing and then I go back and if I still can't be grabbed by it, I somehow don't know what to do with it mm -hmm. in that way. Yeah. But then if I look at the poems I like, of course they have a certain visual to them and sounds and harmony in the way they are put together. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's something that I noticed in the ones that, that you mark, you know, as yeses in in the submissions is there's there is a kind of musicality in in the pieces so you know rather than kind of going for 
um, sort of maybe uh, even a storyline you're kind of led by. And, and I like that you're, um, you mentioned like you're looking for a word that will anchor you and kind of like speak and then, and then you can kind of see what else is there. It sounds very, um, finding that, that kind of trustworthy note you know, something that you can trust and, and kind of go along with. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, uh, I think it's, it's like a powerful invitation to engage with the story or what's been said. And mm-hmm. sometimes I think, what is it that's behind that? And uh, I'm sure there are lots of ideas about what and could engage and not, but for me, being the person who is reading right now this poem, it's very simple. It's it's how it calls me, and 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 I open to it, and I I have no other choice but not listen to it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How about you, Anu? I think you know, for me, it's it's very much I'm looking for image rather than word. So it's interesting how we kind of go about it. In some ways, the same. Like I don't read cover letters first either. I just I just want to experience the handprint of mm-hmm. of the poem, you know, without knowing anything else. Yeah, I I think I'm very attracted to strong images that don't they they don't push. They invite. That's sort of what I'm looking for. I'm looking for that sort of way that the poet has of inviting rather than pushing the image you know mm-hmm. to the reader because that for me is is then the invitation saying okay it's it's safe <laughs> it's you know um, something that is is giving something um, nourishing hi it's it's like a sense of presence somehow because I'm not sure if it's just the word or just the experience that starts manifesting as I start reading the exper- their experience or how I experience what they're putting there. So sometimes there's this strong, I feel this strong presence of that person or the poem itself or the story itself or the lines. Yeah, I, I really like your intuitive process too, that you're not sort of coming at it with a kind of ruler. <laughs> yeah, it, like measuring know. it. And yeah, like a metaphorical ruler with it. Like, is this any good? No, <laughs> you know. I think that that really sort of grows out of our, our culture here at River River anyway, because in, in the circles too, that's really kind of what we're responding to is the writer's presence in the piece rather than technical aspects or anything like that. We're really celebrating the um, that inner presence that comes mm-hmm. to the front. Now I wanted to say that uh, all the poems that I read, they have some sort of beauty in them. That I, if I've received a poem just by itself, then I, I would love it and I would read it and I mm-hmm. would be interested in who wrote it and what it is telling me. But in that the process of selecting a few poems out of so many, then the process becomes about what's more present, what's grabbing, what's what seems to be more powerful. 
but again it's it's all debatable right and mm -hmm. right. and who chooses what and yeah. the moment and all of that yeah I, I think also there's there's a sort of thing that happens that at least for me when I'm reading is that I start to feel certain um, themes start to you know cohere around an issue sometimes it's it's while I'm reading whatever's been assigned to me but also, when I read what you've voted on and what Rebecca Watkins, our other editor, has read and, and commented on, I start to feel you know certain poems really are kind of having a conversation with each other, and so that too, I think you know part of that comes out in the voting process, in that we're sensing something that's going on in the pile of submissions that we have, and then it's the selection part of the reading process is that. You know, it's it's a creative process. Uh -huh. So, so yeah, because I wanted to ask you because you're the one who decides really uh, after we all vote uh, what's going to be an uh, issue. So, uh, so you you just follow this lead of of where all these submissions are going and somehow and you put them together. Are there times where you feel there's no thread or? And then it could be the thread itself that, that they they are different because we are three different people, and uh, I think we maybe have overlaps, but we maybe like pieces that uh, we are not reading yeah. the same thing. But um, yeah, it's it's interesting because we do have very different tastes sometimes. You know, I find that it's it makes it so much more exciting. <laughs> to um, to kind of curate the final thing out of all of the the reading that we do, but I haven't found that that hasn't happened yet. That there's been no thread. There's there's always something. There's always a thread. There's always something that you can follow in, you know, in any group of creative people coming together and and doing something. There's 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 just that sort of maybe thread isn't even the right word. It's just there's a kind of interface that that you can experience and when you know when putting together the whole thing it's really sort of looking at how different perspectives are questioning and also answering each other at the same time mm -hmm. so so even though rebecca would pick something you know maybe much edgier than i would <laughs> um i i really appreciate what she's what she's seen do you find that um your experience of reading for for the journal has maybe changed certain things that you do in your creative process? I guess so. I've not thought about it in specifics, but I think just being behind the scenes, reading other people's work and, uh, and how I experienced them uh, made me see how, my, how my work could be viewed also behind the scenes by some, someone else. And it made me maybe appreciate more the readers who read work I sent and how they might interface quickly with my work and why and why not they might like it or not it makes me this is this part is maybe more about sending my work out so I feel that I I have more appreciation for them and for their time them engaging or not engaging with my piece is not a death sentence on my writing somehow in the moment where it sits with other pieces and with what they are experiencing and their view uh, at that time 
but for my writing it made me uh, maybe take distance with my work and try to read it as if I'm reading somebody else's work in a way that to disengage from the experience of how I wrote it so I could just see if I can have the experience mm -hmm. that That's, I yeah. had if I were not the one who wrote it and I think it gave me that perspective and that distance mm -hmm. and it, it definitely helped me uh, see what does come across what's what's the voice that I'm putting there is it present or not a friend of mine the other day said uh, and I liked it like how Emily Dickinson when she was trying to publish or she was talking to a friend and she said is my verse alive or dead and I like that but in a way I mean it's very difficult to answer this question but maybe I'm trying to answer that with a distance like basically does it talk to somebody or not and it's it's almost impossible to answer yourself this question about your own work but I, I try to use that that experience of reading for others in my work. I don't know if I'm successful, but how yeah. about you? Well, I, I have the same sort of, you know, just feeling of gratitude for the readers that, you know, are receiving my work at all of these journals and, you know, just, you know, even, even with rejections, it's like, it's very it's, hard it's to reject a poem <laughs> written by somebody. <laughs> it is, you know, so I, I really feel, um, you know, I, I don't take it personally. It's, you know, much more so with having the experience of reading other people's poems and really deeply appreciating them, but realizing, you know, in the practical day-to-day, -day, we cannot accept everything. We just can't. We're, we're curating something. So, so just having that experience of, of curating just cured me completely. <laughs> <laughs> you know, From the disease. <laughs> the disease of taking it personally when you get rejections. I come at that with a completely different attitude. But, um, but I love what you were saying about the way that you, you take the skill of, of reading other people's work and bring it to your own process of reading and, and revising your own poems. I find that too. It's it's not so much affected my my revision style. My revision style is still very messy. <laughs> you know? how? Oh boy. I don't know <laughs> if you want to hear. I, all I would of that. love to. Can't be messier than mine. For me revision is, is really kind of a deep sort of rewriting so it's it's not so much the initial writing of something as just something that needs to be said, you know, to me, but also to, you know, whoever is overhearing. When I'm revising, it's much more about whoever is overhearing the poem, you know, whoever is going to receive it, um, hopefully readers, you know, the editors who are looking to curate something. So it's, there's more of that. Like, how, how would this fit into, like, a wider world? And so, so then, you know, the revision process for me is, is kind of a selection process. So part of it is, well, which of these things that I've written might even make sense to someone, you know, who's curating something? 
Um, so that, you know, reading for the journal has, has given me a, a much, you know, better sense of what editors might be looking for when they're curating. So, so selecting things afterwards and, and then, you know, just deciding what I'm going to revise. And then the revision is, is really a, a rewriting. And sometimes it's, it's just reimagining. Sometimes I'll put a completely different title on it and it changes the perspective entirely. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's, it's something that I know that, you know, as an editor, that's kind of interesting. <laughs> Even though that wasn't the initial writing process. Mm-hmm. You see what I'm, I mean? It's so you're, you're saying that by changing sometimes the title, it gives mm-hmm. you a different perspective on the same poem that you yes. read a little differently mm-hmm. with, with a different title. Yeah, because it just presents it differently. It's like, you know, instead of wearing um, like the, the sundress, you're wearing the business suit. <laughs> and but you're the same out. person in both of exactly. them. Exactly, it's the same person. So, um, But so not to other people. <laughs> <laughs> kind right. Of. You're having a different effect, let's say that. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, this has been such a delight to, to talk with you about poetry and Same about here. our writing circles and just like a strawberry patch. I'm just, you know. Gotta, like, where, where could we find your work online? You have a website? Uh, yeah, I do have one, and uh, there are a few poems um, that I published that are listed there. Uh, it's uh, www.gadakhalil.com. If people want to hear more of your work, they should come to the Friday salons at the Carson McCullers house. Yes, please come. Yeah, we have so much fun. <laughs> Colors ghost is always present there. <laughs> Thanks for listening to this episode of Littoral, the audio sister of our online journal, River River, where you can also find out about upcoming writing salons, readings, and local literary events at riverriver.org.